Today we're going to be covering a pretty large passage. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, but we're actually going to cover from there to the end of chapter 2. So hang on with me because I'm going to be moving through this at a fairly rapid pace, but I want to kind of tie it together as I go through and kind of show you what the the what is going on here in this passage. If you remember last week, we talked about how Peter was just trying to remind people of the truths of God's word and how we need that continual reminder of God's word. And, and today what we're going to look at first here is why God's word is so important. What, what makes God's word so special? Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we, we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very for, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully conformed are confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a highly... This passage, if you went to Bible college, if you grew up in church, if you went through, you know, you had any kind of background in the Bible, you probably had to memorize this passage at one point, talking about how holy men of God were moved as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The point being that what one of the things that separates us, one of the things that makes the Word of God so special is that it is alive and it is powerful, but that it is not by any man's own interpretation. Right? This came from God. It is God's word. Even though he used men as vessels to write it and he carried them along, right? The Holy Spirit carried them along, and it was in, but it, it was inspired by God, as it says in Timothy 3.16. And so he says that knowing this first of all, because it is so important, it is important for us to understand the truth of God's word and to understand that God's word is truth. Because it is the foundation of everything we believe. If, if someone could prove definitively without a shadow of doubt that, the, that God's word was false, then all of us who are Christians are wasting our time going to church on Sunday. We're all wasting our tithes, giving 10% of our money to the church. We're all wasting any time and effort we're putting into prayer, any time and effort we're putting into witnessing, any time and effort we're putting into reading God's word, it's all a waste and we should all stop immediately and go join a country club. Because without God's word being true, without it being objective truth, then we're it's useless, it's worthless, it means nothing. So it's important for us to understand that God's word is true. God's word is the objective truth upon which we should base our, every decision we make in life. And that's what Peter is saying here. And what I love in verse 16 says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. And we're getting ready to talk about that in just a minute. But the thing is about some of the things that you hear out there in the world, right, is that they're going to be cleverly devised myths. They're well thought out. Why? Because Satan knows that if you want a little bit of, if you want somebody to believe a lie, you got to add a little bit of tr truth into it. 
Got to sprinkle some truth in there so it's believable. Those are the best lies, the ones that have elements of truth in them. Because it makes it easier for the it makes it easier for the liar to sell it and it makes it easier for the one being lied to to believe it. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false prophets among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are the cleverly devised myths. They're coming from false teachers, and they're going to rise up, it says, among them. Just as they rose up, there will be false teachers among you. We tend to think of false teachers as from being the outside, but sometimes we have to be careful. We have to watch for them coming up among us. If you look throughout the United States right now, I think one of Satan's greatest tools that he's used to discredit the word of God and to get people's focus off of what it needs to be on is false teachers. And that's people who say they believe in Christ, people who say they believe the truth of God's word, but they mix it with lies. And it doesn't take long if you look to, to see some of those. I mean, you, you have you have your prosperity gospel people, you have, have your um, miraculous healing people, which if you ever want to know, just follow the money, right? There's a lot of money in that. But you have to know God's truth and you have to be able to filter what they say against the word of God. And God's word is the objective truth. Nobody else. One of the one of the big red flags that you should always watch out for is anytime somebody says, well, God revealed to me. And if that comes out, anything other than God revealed to me through his word, anything like that, you need to be very cautious. Because there is no new revelation. God's word is complete. It's whole. It's finalized. And everything we say and do, everything anybody's teaching or preaching should be coming through the grid of Scripture. And you should be filtering it through the grid of Scripture, which is why it's so important for you to be reading it in on your own, in your own quiet time, to be studying it so that you can recognize truth and you can recognize heresy. So. There is, it says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So you look, you look out there and you tend to think sometimes you, you, you recognize there are people who are, who are preaching a false gospel and you wonder why does God allow that? Well, the thing you have to keep in mind is that their destruction is coming. Their judgment is coming. Just like anybody who doesn't know Christ as their savior, their judgment is coming. It says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to change of gloomy darkness, they'd be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous lot greatly distressed by the central conduct of the wicked for as that righteous man lived among them day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard then so if god does all of this then the lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially 
those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. There's two things going on in this passage. One, you see God's judgment against sinners. You see God's judgment, especially against those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and those who despise authority. Those are the two main criteria Peter is giving here for the destruction of societies, for the destruction of 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 nations or cities. And if you look through America right now, what do you see? Defiling passions, right? That's the sensuality and the focus on sexuality and and everything. All the all the uh, all the different ways that we violate God's principles when it comes to that, and the fact that we despise authority. We despise authority. We want you know you see anarchy. You see people who want to throw the government down, and you see that throughout our nation in ways that we haven't seen it in the past. And so you have to be mindful that God is promising destruction on the wicked. But also the other thing you see through this is the salvation of the righteous, through where he, he rescued Noah and he rescued Lot. Even in the midst of it, God made a way for those who serve him. It says here, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas the angels... Though greater in might and power, do not pronounce of blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it as pleasure to reveal a revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. They loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his uh, own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. It doesn't take long to read that description there and see our society in there, to see the nation of the United States in this passage. And it says that they will also be destroyed in their destruction. There is a lot going on here. And this is something that should motivate us. It should motivate us to tell others because there is judgment coming. There is destruction coming for them. And we have to be able to, one, we have to be able to recognize what truth is. And we have to be able to share that truth with others and be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. Verse 17 says, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. That is not a fate that we should wish on anybody. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise their, them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
They promised them freedom, but they are slaves of corruption. These false teachers, these people, they're going to rise up and they're promising things. They're promising freedom, but what they're really offering is destruction. And even when it comes to sin, and you, you think about you think about the promise that this drug is going to help you, this promise that this alcohol is going to help you, this promise that living this lifestyle will help you, but really it's just going to bring about destruction and it will enslave you. It will enslave you. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So what overcomes you? Is it your sensual passions? Is it your sin that overcomes you? Is it your desi- is it your wrong desires that overcomes you? Or is it the love of Jesus Christ that overcomes you? Is it is the is it the compassion of our Savior that overcomes you? It is is it the holiness and the righteousness and the almighty power of our loving Father that overcomes you? Because whatever overcomes you, that's what you are enslaved to. So what is it that overcomes you? What is it that you are enslaved to? For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after watching her, washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. This is talking about people who, who have learned of Jesus, who have recognize that he is the way and yet they have turned from him and gone back to their sin just as a dog returns to his vomit which is a disgusting picture i I, i've had dogs in the past and i'm sure a lot of you have too and if you ever watch a dog if they throw up they go back and they eat it it's disgusting why i have no idea why a dog returns to his vomit it's a dog that's why it does it it's an animal And for those of you who are animal lovers and think that animals should be treated like people, I'm sorry to tell you they are not people. They are animals. And yes, we should take care of them because they are God's creatures and we should uh, we should treat them as such. We should not be cruel. We should not. But they're animals and they return to their own vomit. That is disgusting. But yet that is the picture that we have of the one who has recognized and has the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and yet they are again entangled in them. They're again entangled in the defilements of the world and are overcome by them. And it is worse than if they had never known Christ. That's what it's saying here. So that's what the question comes back to, and I'll repeat it. What are you overcome by? What are you overcome by? Are you overcome and overwhelmed by the power of Jesus Christ? Are you overcome and overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ? If so, that should be compelling you to share it with others. That should be compelling you to live for Him. Or are you overcome by the sinful desire that you have? See, there is judgment coming for those that don't know Christ. And there's discipline for those who do. 
So even if you're even if you're a Christian who has what we we like to use the term backslid, I don't know why, but we do. Even if you've backslid it and and you've lost your way a little bit and you've gone back to your sin, there's still discipline for you. But keep in mind that in this life, the Bible says that the Lord disciplines the ones who He loves, just like I discipline my children. Because I love them and I want them to learn the right way to do things. And I do it ultimately for their own good. So that they will learn to be able to function in society. So that they will not harm themselves by touching a hot stove, right? I discipline them for their own good. And so when we examine our own hearts and we examine our own lives, we have to ask ourselves, what are we overcome by? What are you being overcome by right now? If you remember, we talked about casting all your anxiety on him. When I think of being overcome by something, I tend to think about being overcome by worry and, and anxiety. And even today, I've been struggling with some of that, with different things at work and, and some things outside of work and just some of the different things in life. But when I am overcome by that anxiety, when I'm overcome by that worry, I am enslaved to it. And that's pride. Anxiety, worry, those are forms of pride. It's a desire to have control in your life. I'm overcome by those things, but I don't have to be. I can be overcome by the peace, right? A, a peace that passes all understanding. That is an overwhelming and overcoming peace. I can be overcome by that. Maybe you're overcome by sinful desires, desires that that are twisted, right? Desires come from God. I mean, we we have we have a desire to eat because it's good for us. We have a, a desire, but we twist it and we become gluttonous. We have a desire for uh, we have honestly I'm be frank with you. We have a desire for sex and yet we twist it and it becomes lust. We have a desire to be comfortable, yet we twist it and it becomes complacency. We have a desire for these things, and we tend to, if we're not careful, we will be overcome by the defilements of the world. We will be overcome by our fleshly desires. We'll be overcome, and we will be misled often by those who are preaching that this is the way, right? Even prosperity gospel, that's where that gets so dangerous. Just come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Just come to Jesus and he'll give you lots of money. If you just give me so much money, God's going to bless you and you'll get so much more. There's no scriptural basis for any of that. In fact, Christ promises a hard life for those who serve him. Not that you won't have some comforts. Not that you won't have a nice home or a nice car. Not that you won't have good that you want just that you will have difficulties as a Christian. Christ was constantly turning people away. He was challenging them, making it very difficult for them. Because it's not an easy life. It's not a hey, come to Jesus and everything's easy peasy. That's why we have to be careful of these these false teachers and they don't help anything. And it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. To say that if you come to Jesus, then all your problems will go away. The problems don't go away. But what comes instead is an overwhelming and overcoming peace. 
And let me ask you this. What would you rather be enslaved to? Would you rather be enslaved to your sinful desires or would you rather be enslaved to an almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God, creator of the universe, and your friend and your father who died in, in Christ who died for you? I'd much rather be enslaved to Christ than to be enslaved to my own selfish desires. So what are you overcome by today? Thank you.